Nourish your mind with a premium digital subscription with the Irish Times and enjoy 12 months free access to the Headspace app. Visit irishtimes.com. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. Well, if somebody gave me a euro or a pound for every time I began this podcast by saying it's a big week in the Brexit process, I probably wouldn't have to do this podcast anymore. But but there really is no avoiding the fact that this is a big and probably pivotal week in the Brexit story. And Dennis Staunton, our London editor, is on the line to help guide us through the myriad possibilities and directions this story could take in the coming hours and days. Um, Dennis, things are moving so fast. We'd better timestamp this conversation for our listeners. We're speaking at 2.30pm Irish time on, on Tuesday. Boris Johnson faces two very important votes later today in the House of Commons. Just tell us what's coming up. What they're debating right now in the House of Commons is the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, which is the bill that puts into uh, domestic legislation the terms of the Brexit deal that Boris Johnson agreed with the EU last week. And the vote tonight, the first one, is on the so-called second reading of the bill. And it's the first parliamentary stage of the uh, 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 that, that a bill goes through. And then immediately after that, MPs will vote on what's called the programme motion, which is the timetable for how the bill is debated and exactly when it uh, goes through its various stages in Parliament. Now, um, Boris Johnson opened the debate um, on this bill a short time ago. Um, how did he do and did we learn anything, anything significant emerge from that? Well, he, he had quite a difficult time, really, because he was facing quite a lot of hostile questioning, particularly from the DUP, who are very un happy with the arrangements for Northern Ireland. And they were asking him some detailed questions about how the system is going to work. And he struggled to answer some of those. And so he came under quite a lot of pressure. There were a number of other questions from Labour MPs, which seemed to be in a way uh, quite helpful or useful to him in that, uh, you know, one MP asked about workers' rights protections, and he was able to offer some kind of reassurance, uh, you know, essentially saying that if the EU brought in a new rule that increased the level of worker protection, that MPs would be able to vote on whether to take that on or not in the UK after Brexit. And then somebody else asked about environmental standards, somebody else asked about consumer standards. But uh, he was really making the point that, you know, the uh, that, that MPs and the country have been debating Brexit for three and a half years, and it's time to get on with it now. And he was uh, asking them to vote not just for the second reading, which I think everybody's expecting they will do, but also for this very tight timetable. And this is really where uh, the difficulty is. And basically what he was saying is, we've got to get this through and through all of its stages in the House of Commons by Thursday night, and then move it on to the House of Lords so that he can get Britain out of the European Union by the deadline of October 31st. And what he said just as he was wrapping up was that if MPs rejected this and forced a delay until January, which was is when the request for the extension runs out, at, that then uh, he would pull the bill. He said he'd pull the bill and have to go straight for a general election. So, Dennis, let's just take a closer look then at the scenarios that may unfold uh, um, this evening. Um, I, I suppose the first thing that could go wrong for Boris Johnson would be he could lose the first vote, the, the substantive vote uh, on his bill. 
Where would that leave him and where would that leave the Brexit process? If he loses that vote, that's really the end of it. He just, uh, you know, the, the, the bill goes no further because it just because essentially what Parliament would have said is we don't consent to give this bill a second reading so that it just stops the process. And what options and so would he then, have then? Yeah, what options would he have then? Well, he then really has uh, has very few because, I mean, strictly speaking, he can't bring the same legislation back twice in a single session. And that is actually the rule. And it's a rule that sometimes uh, John Burko applies and sometimes uh, he doesn't. And so uh, so I think that would really mean that you couldn't get the deal through until after a general election when you'd have a new session of parliament. So, uh, so then really you would be sort of forcing him into a general election or perhaps what the opposition would try to do if they, you know, if say Labour wanted to trap him in Downing Street for another few months and prolong the agony, Oblige him to, uh, you know, to, to seek uh, another uh, extension, or to see, or to make sure, or to see what the Europeans say about the extension up to January thirty first, which he's already requested, and then maybe they'd send him back to see if he can get another deal. But I think, really, what we're talking about then is at some stage a general election and uh, trying to do the deal, uh, probably the same deal more or less after a general election. And I guess my answer, to the answer, your answer to my next question is is probably the same, which is that let, let's assume then, and, and the expectation as we speak is that he may win the first vote. You've already told us what he said in the Parliament today that if he loses the second vote, and that's the vote on um, on, on the, the, the so-called program vote, where MPs may decide not to accept this plan to rush the bill through over the next three days. You've said if he loses that vote, he's going to withdraw the bill. That I presume leaves him in pretty much the same situation, doesn't it? Well, not exactly, because what he said was that if MPs decide to uh, reject uh, the, the timetable and to delay everything until January, then he'd have no choice but to uh, withdraw the bill. Now, there's quite a lot of uh, wriggle room within that sentence, because, for example, the European Union uh, could say, OK, we give you uh, an extension until the 31st of January and you can't leave until the 31st of January. That's highly unlikely. And if you think, for example, when Theresa May got her extension, what they said to her was, you can have the extension up to whatever the date was, but if you uh, ratify the agreement in the meantime, then Britain would leave on the second day of the month following that ratification. So in other words, you can leave really once you're ready. You don't have to wait all the way until January. So, part, so, uh, so I think one of the reasons why Boris Johnson and particularly his team in Downing Street have been uh, rattling their sabres about this today is to encourage MPs who actually want to support the deal and who want to get Brexit done, basically to say, look, you don't have the option of messing around with this timetable just because you'd like to have a bit longer uh, to talk about this. You know, if you say no uh, to the timetable tonight, then that's the end of the matter. Now, it may be that that's exactly what he does, but maybe he won't because uh, it could be that what the European Union say is, look, I'll tell you what, we give you an, a technical extension for a few weeks. Tell us how long you need or uh, alternatively that they give you uh, they give the sort of the flex extension, as they call it, that I just described to you. There's another problem with Boris Johnson saying I'm pulling the bill and, uh, you know, and I'm not going to negotiate any new kind of timetable for this bill. And that is that uh, the opposition can deny him his general election. And certainly from the point of view of Labour, what they would like would be to delay an election until after Christmas. And really, once you get into, uh, say, the middle of November, 
uh, it's going to be too late to call an election before Christmas. And so, uh, you know, Labour is very, doing very badly in the polls. Jeremy Corbyn is unpopular. And also uh, the burden of Brexit, having Brexit on the agenda for, election, for an election, it's eating into Labour's vote because the Liberal Democrats are dividing the sort of pro-Remain, pro, the anti-Brexit vote with the, um, you know, with Labour. What Labour might hope would be that, uh, you know, the uh, once Brexit goes off the agenda, that the Lib Dems uh, start to reduce in size and that sort of people will start to come home to Labour. Isn't the difficulty here for Labour, Dennis, that the reason Labour, I feel like, didn't oblige Boris Johnson by having an election already was they said, you know, along with, in, in tandem with the other opposition parties, Labour said, no, we're going to make sure that the Brexit uh, no deal scenario is averted and an extension is granted if necessary before we allow an election to happen. But if we move into a scenario where the no deal Brexit has been avoided, the EU has granted an extension, Labour has um, Labour is going to look kind of very weak in resisting an election at that point, aren't they? Yes, but what they might say is actually, you know, we need a longer extension so that actually, you know, we should put uh, Brexit to a referendum. They're moving towards the position of saying, you know, let's have a referendum first and have an election second. I mean, I think, you know, they can find whatever excuse they want. And uh, and it doesn't really matter whether, uh, you know, people find it plausible or not. The fact is that if they consider it's in their electoral interest to delay an election, then they will do whatever they can to delay it, I would have thought. Uh, I mean, there are divisions within Labour as to uh, you know, how soon they should do it. And some people close to Jeremy Corbyn think they should go for it pretty quickly. But most people don't. And there's also, you know, there's also, by the way, happening against the background of this uh, mutterings about a kind of silent coup uh, to uh, replace Jeremy Corbyn as leader. And this is either with or without his acquiescence. And so you've seen John McDonnell move to uh, uh, effectively take control over parts of Jeremy Corbyn's office, some key people being moved to Labour headquarters, and a lot of whispering about the idea that if there was a bit of time, that maybe uh, Jeremy Corbyn would be pleased to step aside, and that then to uh, to have a, a leadership election where a candidate of the left would win, and so that uh, the project would continue, but without him. And so again, if, if they have a little bit more time, that helps them to do it. But the main thing, I think, would be that from the Labour point of view, having Brexit off the agenda is better for them in an election than it still being an unresolved issue. Because as long as it's an unresolved issue, then Boris Johnson has a chance of reuniting that Leave vote from 2016. And that means uh, the possibility of some Labour losses. And if Boris Johnson suffers a defeat this week on his bill and fails to get it through and he decides he wants to have an election, can he do anything to make it happen? Uh, not really. I mean, he has to, you know, under the Fixed Term Parliament Act, he can, you know, uh, ask for an election. He needs a two-thirds majority. Labour uh, has more than one-third of the uh, of the seats so they can block it. And there are also others, like, say, some of the independents who used to be called Change UK. They certainly don't want an election because they lose their seats. Some of those Conservatives who lost the whip also won't want an election because they'll probably be gone as well. The Liberal Democrats would like an election as soon as possible, preferably while Brexit is still a live issue for all the reasons I've mentioned. And the Scottish National Party would like an election 
quite soon because Alex Salmond is going on trial early next year. And uh, and so there's uh, and they would like really the, the election to be out of the way before that happens, because it's likely to. Uh, to bring forward lots of discussion about exactly who knew what, when, uh, in, which could involve other members of the SNP. And so they'd be quite keen to have one uh, you know, relatively quickly as well. The only other way that you could uh, you can have an election is for the leader of the opposition to table a motion of no confidence in the government. And that, uh, you know, if that passes by a simple majority, you then have a period of 14 days where somebody else can try to form a government. And if that fails, then you go to an election 25 working days afterwards. Uh, but that requires the leader of the opposition to do it. And uh, there's no uh, sign. There is one other method, by the way, he could that um, uh, that Boris Johnson could use. And that is he could put down a simple motion saying, notwithstanding the terms of the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, uh, I want to have a general election on such and such a date. But the problem is that that motion can be amended. And it could be amended by the opposition, for example, to include votes for 16-year-olds or uh, to allow, uh, you know, uh, EU citizens to vote. You know, there could be all kinds of things that could, uh, you know, or they could change the date. So that's a risky option as well. So I think his options are quite uh, limited in terms of calling an election. I mean, is it as simple as saying there can't be an election unless Labour also want one? Uh, yeah, no, I'd say possibly not quite as simple as that, but close enough to it. And um, in the event that an election does take place, Dennis, in these circumstances, the circumstances being that um, Boris Johnson has failed to deliver on his do or die um, deadline to get the UK out of the EU by the end of October, but he has failed because Parliament has blocked him, who do you think would have the upper hand going into that election? Well, certainly the Conservatives think that uh, the public sees Boris Johnson as having uh, done everything he possibly could to, uh, you know, to get Britain out on time, and that he is being thwarted by uh, by Parliament. I think they would also see a certain advantage in him going to an election on the basis of having secured a deal, because one of the uh, the the things that worried the Conservative strategists is that if they go if he goes to an election on the basis of no deal, a no deal Brexit, that could alienate conservative voters who might be in favour of Brexit, but certainly don't want to leave without a deal. The fact that he's got this deal, that he's done that, and yet that it's a deal that uh, all of his hardline Brexiteers are happy to buy into, the fact that he's tried to do it on time, I think they feel as if uh, the public and certainly Brexit-leaning uh, voters would forgive them for. And so, so there's no question if you look at the polls that uh, the Conservatives and Boris Johnson go in with a huge advantage. But then obviously, as we know, campaigns can change things and polls aren't always right. Now, to bring it back, Dennis, to the here and now, if you like, one of the scenarios I didn't ask you about was if the government succeeds in winning both votes in the House of Commons today. In other words, they get this timetable agreed whereby there will be a three-day debate on the bill. What kind of amendments can we look forward to the opposition bringing forward then to the bill during the week? Well, there are some have been uh, you know, tabled already. They don't actually uh, you know, come up for consideration until it gets through this immediate stage. And one is for uh, the government to seek to negotiate a customs union with the European Union after Brexit. Another would be to give Parliament more oversight over the negotiations about the future relationship with the EU after Brexit. Another would be that uh, if the transition period, which is... Um, 
due to end at the uh, at the end of December 2020, that if uh, there isn't uh, a trade deal in sight, or a, a, you know a new future economic relationship deal with the EU in sight, that uh, Parliament can uh, extend that deadline, or that it's automatically extended for another two years, so that Britain doesn't crash out uh, of the transition arrangements with no relationship, formal trading relationship with the EU at all. And so that's one where at the moment what the bill says is that, uh, you know, th that the default is that Britain does crash out. And so the parliament can then try to stop that. But what they want to do is to kind of flip that around. And then there are a couple of others on various issues to do with, for example, uh, protection for EU citizens seeking settled status after Brexit. So I think there'll be a, a number of amendments. The question is then it's up to the, um, the speaker to uh, decide which to uh, to take to adopt. Uh, one of them also is likely to go to be for uh, for a second referendum. Now, there's not likely, I think, to be a majority for a second referendum in the House now. Um, whether there is one for a customs union is a little bit more uncertain. But but again, I think the government would be fairly confident that there isn't a majority for that. But uh, you know, but one of the the issues about this tight timetable is that there's less time to debate it. There is another option, by the way, if, even if he loses this programme motion tonight, although he says he's going to uh, pull the bill, uh, what he could do if, say, the Europeans said, look, we'll just give you a short extension if that's what you want, would be to to agree with the um, what they call the usual channels, which is the, the whips of the various parties, you know, the government and the opposition, to agree a new business plan, a new timetable, which would be amendable. And so it wouldn't be quite as watertight as the program motion, which would say, for example, give a few weeks rather than just a few days to debate the bill. That's risky for him because the longer they have to scrutinize it, the more stuff pops up out, you know, from below the surface. And suddenly uh, some MP they thought was on side suddenly gets worked up about something and, uh, and the discovery is not on side after all. So, so, that's, um, you know, so they, they would like to resist that and perhaps, you know, but certainly you know, the fact that he is saying that he uh, is going to pull the bill may mean that he is going to pull the bill, but it doesn't necessarily. We've known before he was going to die in a ditch rather than write a letter or rather than send a letter. He did send the letter to the European Union. Didn't Saturday. sign it, though. <laughs> didn't. He didn't sign it, but he sent it. So, it's, uh, you know, so, he, uh, so you know, he's not necessarily uh, somebody who's uh, fetishistic about uh, sticking to his word. Um, and I'm still trying to get, I suppose, get a picture, Dennis. So let's say it's Wednesday morning and he has pulled the bill. Who makes the next move? I mean, I know that there's that standing request there with the EU uh, for an extension, but is, it, is the next move still up to Boris Johnson to explain to the EU Oh, we know what kind of extension he wants or, or, or what he wants next. No, it's up to them just to make the decision. They've received a request for an extension and they then uh, can decide uh, you know, whether to give it or for how long. Uh, it's, uh, or set you know, they could set conditions, I presume. Is that They can set conditions and they usually do. But, they, uh, but he kind of doesn't have much choice about accepting those. But, uh, but, uh, you know, so what you probably have would be uh, a special summit uh, in Brussels uh, next week, early next week, uh, to arrange that, or maybe at the weekend. I don't know. And so, uh, so that's uh, you know, usually the European Council has to meet in person in Brussels to make decisions like this. And so, uh, so that's probably the most likely thing that would happen. And then, uh, and then he would try to you know, get his general election uh, and to go to the country on the basis of uh, promote of this deal, but also that he needs a new parliament to allow him to do it.
Um, a feature, Dennis, of this story has been the manner in which, or, or I suppose the fact that Boris Johnson did throw the, the DUP overboard in order to get his, his deal with Brussels. You mentioned this earlier. The DUP have not t- taken this well, have they? No, and uh, the DUP feel very sore about what has happened. They, uh, you know, last week they were in constant uh, engagement with Downing Street, and right up to the very last minute, Downing Street tried to keep them on board. The DUP couldn't accept the uh, the, the mechanism for Northern Ireland showing its consent to the arrangements. Basically, what happens onto the deal is that uh, there will be a, a regulatory border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland because. Northern Ireland will continue to apply EU regulations for goods, including agri-food. And then where customs is concerned, uh, Northern Ireland would leave the European Customs Union with the rest of the UK and be part of the UK Customs Territory. But for all practical purposes, it will be in the EU Customs Union. So that creates a customs border in the Irish Sea. And then there's this arrangement that this like this just happens. But then after four years, if the uh, assembly in Northern Ireland by a simple majority doesn't want to continue these arrangements, then they can fall away. Now, what the DUP wants is uh, a veto. They want basically, they say that under the Good Friday Agreement, that what happens with uh, you know important decisions is that they have to have a cross-community majority. A majority in each community must back them. That's the so-called petition of concern. And that is true under the Good Friday uh, Agreement. But what uh, Boris Johnson says is that this is an international treaty. International treaties are reserved powers, to the powers reserved by uh, to Westminster, and so they're not devolved to uh, the Assembly in Northern Ireland. And as such, the same rules don't apply, and that you couldn't give uh, one side or another uh, a veto on, um, you know, on something like this. And in the same way, he also points out that Brexit was passed by uh, a simple majority in the referendum. And of course, it's also true that Brexit itself didn't have cross-community support in Northern Ireland because it was rejected by the majority in Northern Ireland. It had a majority among unionists and it didn't among uh, nationalists. And so, so there are logical arguments about all of this. But anyway, the DUP are very unhappy and they uh, were still talking to some people in Downing Street over the last couple of days. Relations appear to have broken down now and it looks as if they will certainly vote against the timetable, the program motion tonight. And uh, they would like to keep, I think, the uh, uh, this debate going as long as possible in the hope that the bill actually does fall apart or that it has to be pulled. And I think they would be happy if the thing was pulled tonight. Uh, whether they vote in favour of it at the second reading or not, I'm not sure, but probably they'll vote against it there as well. They certainly looked very angry in the chamber uh, just now when they were uh, watching Boris Johnson and interrupting him and asking him questions about deep details of this deal, which he didn't seem to be very well prepared to answer. And their mood probably wasn't helped yesterday when Steve Barclay, the Brexit secretary, was giving evidence to the House of Lords committee. And he, he actually didn't seem to understand exactly what arrangements would apply for businesses sending goods to Great Britain. And then he had to accept that businesses in the north would have to complete declarations for goods to send to, to Great Britain. And that was a kind of a, a bad moment for him, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Now, I think in his defence, in a way, this particular provision isn't written into either the agreement or the bill, but it's a consequence of Northern Ireland following the EU Customs Code. Under the EU Customs Code, any good that's leaving the EU Customs area, which Northern Ireland would in effect be, has to uh, have uh, what they call an uh, exit uh, summary declaration, which is just really a kind of a declaration of what's in it and where it's going. And uh, and so the fact that this is going, you know, that goods going from Northern Ireland to Great Britain would have to have that, it does appear to contradict 
the promise that uh, whatever about goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland having to you know, face some p- potential checks, that uh, there would be unfettered access for uh, Northern Ireland to the British market. And that's something that really has exercised uh, the unionist, and it also has surprised a lot of people uh, in other parties because it's just something that uh, that they hadn't thought about. Okay, Dennis. Well, while we're talking, I'm keeping you from the debate in the House of Commons, and we're looking forward to your analysis of that on IrishTimes.com later. So I'll let you back to that. Thanks for taking the time out to talk to me, and uh, that's all for this week. For more on this and other stories, go to IrishTimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. It's time to focus on what matters. Nourish your mind with Headspace and the Irish Times. Headspace connects you to yourself. The Irish Times connects you to the truth. Headspace gives you a healthy perspective. The Irish Times gives you a wider perspective. Take a premium digital subscription with the Irish Times and enjoy 12 months free access to the Headspace app. Pause. Breathe. Focus. Subscribe at irishtimes.com. Terms and conditions apply.